Hi everyone, welcome to the Physionic Dedicated Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking about three different topics. The first topic will be talking on lab-grown meat revisited. So uh, talking a little bit about a, a group at Harvard that is working on the whole lab-grown meat for consumption uh, problem where they are, how they're doing it, things of that nature. So that's what I'll be covering. And then the second topic I'll be covering, how to bulk effectively coming out of a cut. So I was talking to a friend of mine who I've actually had on the podcast before, Bobby Lease, and uh, he's going through a transition period where he's lost a significant amount of weight, which is great for him, but now he wants to build some musculature, and uh, we briefly discussed it, and he called me out and said that I didn't have any content on this topic, so unofficially, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to effectively transition from a cut or a weight loss period to a weight gaining period, more specifically, uh, to gain musculature. And then the final topic is to update you guys on the, pre, the pre-workout that I mentioned a few podcast episodes ago, maybe a month ago or six weeks ago. I was talking about how I bought ingredients to uh, create my own pre-workout and not for any profit or anything like that. Literally just buy the ingredients, mix them together in the correct amounts, and then experiment and see how I feel. Uh, using this particular pre-workout just because it would save me a lot of money and uh, I'll be sharing a little bit of how that's been going as well as uh, in the future I'll be creating a some content some more official content other than the podcast wherein I'll describe the ingredients but also the amount that I'm taking and uh, sort of the benefits from these particular ingredients so you can go out and buy buy them yourself and uh, be able to to use them effectively uh, as you wish but with that said my background is uh, i'm a phd student in molecular medicine i study uh, the molecular aspects of medicine hence the name molecular medicine my concentration is in uh, uh, cellular and molecular physiology so essentially i have to know physiology of the whole body uh, down to the cellular level that's why one of the slogans for physionic is from the macro to the micro and uh, i have my master's in exercise physiology and i am an american college of sports medicine certified that's the word personal trainer so without further ado let's jump into things Uh, i have time codes in the description box for if you're consuming this Uh, in video format or if you're consuming this uh, via podcast audio format there will be timestamps for each particular section if you want to skip the other sections the first topic lab grown meat revisited so as i mentioned there is a group at harvard uh, the harvard engineering and applied sciences division which is looking at or a lab in that division that is looking at how to create meat that we consume Uh, through a method that does not require slaughtering an animal. So that's a bit of a problem. That's that's a huge undertaking because you're trying to emulate what you would get out of an animal that you're killing. And if you kill an animal, you get, I mean, depends on the animal, of course, but you can get as much as several hundred pounds of meat off of that particular animal. So that is quite a lot to try and replicate. But uh, certainly... It would be, I'm sure it would be massively popular if we could find a way to 
create lab-grown meat, and I think we'd get over the stigma of the fact that it's created in a lab because you wouldn't be able to tell, and I'll explain why in just a a second, but being able to switch to lab-grown meat and not have to kill an animal, but we most likely will still have to take cells from that animal, which isn't that inhumane because we do that from humans as well. Uh, To be completely honest, we could probably uh, be what's what's the term not carnivorous uh yeah i can't think of the term but where we consume our own uh you could could literally uh take cells from a human being and do the exact same thing but most likely we would do that with uh, animals and then there are different iterations of cells different types of cells that we can use that are probably better than others so what are they doing they're essentially lab-grown meat is essentially in a in a petri dish in a manner of speaking there's more techniques than just this but in a petri dish being able to create a layer of muscle tissue because that's going to have the highest level of protein content so what they do is they they they're growing rabbit and cow cells in an edible gelatin scaffold Uh, that mimics the texture and consistency of meat. Now, the reason they have to have this gelatin scaffold is because our musculature is uh, essentially anchored to an extracellular matrix, meaning extra, outside, cellular of the cell. So outside of the cell, outside of our muscle cells, there is a matrix meaning an environment essentially that anchors onto the cell or the cell is more more so anchored to the this environment and that allows it to lay flat it allows it to stretch out now one of the issues with that is that sometimes you have to uh, force the cells down onto this matrix so then they attach themselves so what they're using is they're they're centrifuging these microfibers that make up this gelatin matrix. Uh, Centrifuging is essentially a process where you spin something extremely quickly to the point where the heavier objects will move to the bottom. So if you have, let's say, an isolated uh, amount of microfiber in a solution, what you can do is spin it really quickly and it will move to the bottom of whatever is being spun, whatever the vehicle, whatever the, the vessel is that you're containing this microfiber in. So it comes to the bottom and then it creates this layer. So now you have this layer of this microfiber that makes up this, this gelatin base layer. And then from there, what they do is they add the muscle cells. So they can add rabbit muscle cells, they can add cow muscle cells, whatever, whatever. they can add human muscle cells to this uh, plate that now has this gelatin uh, matrix that is supposed to emulate the extra uh, cellular matrix in the body. And these muscle cells will then go down and attach and start creating uh, a bit of a uh, striated, I don't want to call it striated because that's really within the musculature itself, within the muscle cells themselves, but it essentially creates a linear pattern that is more akin to what we see in a physiological situation, like our body, our legs, our arms. I mean, they're long. I mean, you, you have to have long cells that make up these uh, particular muscles. So, that is essentially how they're doing it. And it's it's kind of a, to be completely honest, I looked at the pictures, it looks pretty disgusting. 
<laughs> but it's it's white and it's uh, this like gooey texture and they can peel it apart and kind of pull it to you know push it together and like kind of like goop and uh, but it does have this kind of elongated structure to it and uh, that is hopefully what they're going to be able to eventually create into some sort of like a hamburger patty for example now one of the the issues that comes from this is uh, well there are a number of issues one of them is that how do you get the taste to be accurate how do you get the taste to be exactly right because when you're you're eating a hamburger patty what's tasting good is is not the protein it's not the muscle cells really it's what's inside the muscle cells like the fat and as well as just the fat that's outside of the muscle cells uh, so the in the adipocytes the actual fat cells themselves so that is something that they have to figure out the right proportions and then they have to create this layer and then they they mentioned in the article uh, that this this particular structure still contains less muscle cells and less protein than what you would find in a natural muscular environment so if you were to consume an animal then you're consuming more protein from that animal than you are from this extracellular matrix now that is surely something that they'll be able to fix in the long term and ultimately an easy fix for that is just to eat more of this as opposed to uh you you would meet, maybe eat two grams uh, for every one gram of animal protein that you normally eat, you would eat maybe like two grams of this lab-grown meat. So I don't think that's a huge sacrifice telling people to eat a little bit more. I think they'll be okay uh, as long as then we can spare the animals. Now the other problem that I can foresee, or two problems, is when we take cells from uh, any animal or from a human being or whatever it might be, and you plate them you put them on this matrix they split and they 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 we create more of these cells we create daughter cells we create uh they go undergo mitosis and that's really only specific to those stem cells now if you were to take actual muscle cells that were fully uh, differentiated meaning that they've already decided they're going to be muscle cells those are not going to be continuing to split into multiple cells so they do have to work on a stem cell like model so they have to take stem cells and then have those replicate over and over and over again so that limits the amount of cells that they can take out of a particular animal and along with that however there are ways and this is going to sound kind of weird, but not that all this other stuff that I've already said is kind of weird, but there are ways that we can create what are called immortal cells. Immortal cells are much like cancer in that they continuously replicate. They constantly undergo mitosis. So they never stop and they mutate a lot. They tend to mutate quite considerably, uh, but if and we do have cells that we've taken i've i've used these types of cells before called c2c12 cells these are specific muscle cells that are taken from mice and they've been uh, changed to a point where they are immortal as well so they can they continue to replicate over and over and over again so i wonder if it would be possible to eventually use those kinds of cells and if there are any sort of repercussions from uh, consuming that kind of of cell line which would mean then that you're taking 
what most people would consider, you know, a cancerous cell, uh, which is considered detrimental, and using it to uh, make more meat, to create more protein. And I, I imagine that some people would be asking themselves, okay, well, if I'm consuming cancerous cells, won't I get cancer? No, no, not at all. Uh, absolutely not. Because for many, many reasons, uh, one reason being that once it enters your stomach, it, the cells are absolutely destroyed uh, and they get lysed, they, they get broken up and then they're absorbed. So by that time, they're not cells anymore for, for one. Uh, secondly, is if by some miracle, which would l go against every anatomical uh, situation, any uh, all the laws of physiology, uh, if somehow those cells found themselves into the bloodstream intact as cancer cells, uh, those cells would be detected by the immune system. The problem with cancer is that it's hard to detect, it's hard to differentiate it from healthy tissue because it is spawned out of healthy tissue. So it is literally your tissue turning against you by multiplying over and over and over. So your immune system has a hard time determining that particular cell is a cancerous cell because it is in a background of many healthy cells. So it's hard to tell. So in that way, no, it's not going to have any sort of detrimental impact in terms of health. You're not going to get cancer from, from literally eating these kinds of cells. So that should be something that, that nobody should have to worry about. But it's a really interesting field. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where, where it goes. Uh, I think another aspect that might be a limiting factor is usually when we grow cells, we use uh, FBS, which is a particular serum uh, that typically comes from animals as well, and that is a uh, rich with amino acids and things of that nature, essentially growth material uh, that we find in our body as well that allows these cells to grow. Now, where are you going to get that? That's the thing. So, uh, you know, maybe you can synthetically create it, like you're going to have to really employ a lot of chemists to start synthesizing some of these uh, chemical compounds that make up this FBS material as well as really any of the nu nutrients that are necessary. Maybe we can get those, I, I don't know, I would imagine actually it might be possible to emulate some of that stuff through plant-based uh, methods and be able to put those and feed the cells with a plant-based material. Does that make it better? No, it doesn't. This is pure uh, chemistry. This is what we're talking about. So uh, this isn't a meat versus plant argument in this particular situation when you're talking about isolated cells on a plate. Uh, but there are a number of hurdles, but it is really cool to see that, well, one, that they figured out how to attach these cells together. So it does actually create a texture that is similar to actual like normal meat that you natural quote unquote meat. Uh, and it'll be cool to see where things go from here. I imagine that they will eventually figure this out. And it will be a mainstream thing that we we will have access to. And I, for one, will absolutely be first in line to try it, uh, mainly because I have experience growing cells and uh, doing things of that nature, but not necessarily, obviously, culturing it or putting it into a line that's going to end up creating this particular texture. So really cool research, and I hope that uh, it, it comes out in the near, near future. Okay, so 
Let's move on to topic number two. Oh, for, for topic number one, Labogrammy, I'll have the uh, article that I was reading from Harvard uh, in, in the description box. Okay, so how to bulk effectively coming out of a cut. So if you've been, you've been losing weight, you've been going through a cut, and usually people use the word cut, they're not actually cutting themselves. <laughs> they are cutting the fat in a manner of speaking off their body. Uh, that's that's the idea. They're they're burning the fat off. Uh, they're essentially becoming lean. They're leaning out. That's the term, really. So after you go through a leaning out phase, which is targeted, it tends to be you know higher in protein, tends to obviously lower in calories, things of that nature, just to lean out. You're eventually going to get to a point where maybe you want to start gaining weight, but you don't want to just gain fat because then what was the point in that whole entire leaning out phase? So you want to build some more musculature. Makes complete sense. So how do you effectively move from a leaning out phase to a bulking phase? So here are a few steps. The first thing is to jump up to your maintenance calories, and I will cover how to do that without uh, necessarily counting calories as well. But if you know your maintenance calories and you do count calories, which I always recommend, uh, almost always recommend, because that is the surest way to know that you're actually sticking to your diet, that you're sticking to your nutrition plan. You jump up to your maintenance calories for, let's say, a week or two weeks, and you watch your weight. That's step number one. You, the reason why you want to watch your weight is because even though you're going up to maintenance calories, which would mean that you would be weight stable, meaning that your weight shouldn't fluctuate, you will gain a lot of weight. That is not fat weight. That is literally your body producing enzymes, producing uh, or holding on to glycogen, creating more glycogen, filling your musculature up with water, and doing a bunch of different mo different modulations just to make sure that you are in peak performance state. So you, for the longest time in a lean gain phase, you are not in peak performance. You may be shedding uh, fat, which is fantastic. You look better, you feel better, all these different things. But in terms of your actual performance, you're going to do the best if you're consuming more calories, uh, at least if you're weight stable. So you want to watch your weight, you're going to increase in weight, and it's going to depend on how heavy you are. If you're uh, a woman and you weigh, let's say, 120 pounds, whatever it might be, uh, if you go up to your weight maintenance, maybe you'll gain four pounds, maybe you'll gain five pounds. That seems scary, especially if you only lost, let's say, 10 pounds or 15 pounds. You're thinking, what in the world just happened here? <laughs> I just, I took, you know, I took eight weeks, I took 12 weeks, I took uh, five months to, to lose 15 pounds, and I've just gained five pounds back in a matter of three days. Uh, don't worry. It, none of that, literally none of that is fat. It is water weight that comes from the storage of glycogen, as well as the increases in um, enzyme production. You're starting to produce more of these particular hormones that lessen your hunger. I mean, this is a lot of recalibrating your body's doing. And during that phase, you're going to be gaining considerable water weight, which you will not lose. Keep that in mind. Again, the weight scale 
is giving you an indication of where you're going, but it's not necessarily telling you all of the physiological states that your body is undergoing. And that is a key point to keep in mind. So you're going to gain uh, a few pounds. But on the other hand, if you're 230 pounds, uh, let's say you're a, a larger man, uh, you're 230 pounds, you, again, you drop 15 pounds and you reintroduce these calories because of the, 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 the increase in the musculature that you have over a woman or a smaller man, you're going to gain not five pounds, you might gain eight pounds, you might gain 10 pounds. Uh, last time that I dieted down, I gained something like six pounds back in like a day. And I did not freak out. I thought, great, this is fantastic. This is exactly what should happen. And that's what I expected. So jump up to your maintenance calories, watch your weight, drop your protein intake. That's not a necessity, but typically people overconsume a ton of protein, not overconsume in a in a in a negative health way, but just they overconsume protein because they want to retain lean mass. That makes complete sense. But when you're going up to your maintenance calories, there's really no need to be consuming uh, mass amounts of protein. You just need to be consuming. Uh, even as, as little as like 0.7 or 0.8 grams per uh, pound of body weight. And that'll be ample amounts to uh, gain musculature. So drop your protein intake and fill that uh, up to your maintenance calories with carbohydrates, fats, whatever you, you, you want. The next thing you want to do is increase the volume in the gym. Increase the amount of total weight lifted uh, throughout a week and continue to try and increase that weight. So progressive overload. So the two principles when it comes to your gym etiquette, aside from your nutrition, is you wanna increase volume in the gym and you wanna progressively overload. So in some way, you wanna be increasing and getting better. You just wanna be getting better at whatever you're trying to uh, improve. And you get that just by functional measurements of uh, you know, if you're doing a dumbbell press and you used to do 60 pounds for five repetitions, try and do 60 pounds for six repetitions and then try and do 60 pounds for seven repetitions. And then eventually you're at a point where you're doing 60 pounds for 15 repetitions. And you're like, OK, I think I feel pretty good. Let me move up to 65 pounds and you drop back down to eight repetitions or 10 repetitions, whatever it might be. So progressive overload, just continuously improving as well as always keeping in mind trying to uh, increase your volume just a little bit uh, every week or every other week, however you end up determining it. By, but by point A to point B, if that's point B is like six months from now, which I think a bulk should at least be roughly three months, if not much, much longer, uh, depending on where you are. Uh, let's say point A is the start point, point B is the end point. You want to have increased your weight lifted, your total weight lifted in that time over time. And that's going to lead to accrual of more musculature on your body. The final point is after a week of eating at maintenance, and this is going to be a key, key point, is you want to increase your calories over your maintenance by about 200 calories. Some people say 500 calories. Some people say 700 calories. That I think that is way, way overdone. Your, your body's not going to use 
close to a thousand extra calories a day. It's just not. It's going to end up storing a lot of that as fat. So you're trying to minimize the amount of fat that you put on. You will put on a little bit, but uh, you want to minimize that as much as possible. So you take your maintenance calories and you just add 200 calories to that. And because you're increasing volume, however, eventually you're going to get to a point where you're not gaining weight anymore because you're continuously adding more and more and more volume. And with the addition of volume, that means more energy expenditure. And that means more uh, time that your body has to synthesize musculature. So eventually, you're going to have to increase that 200 calories to 250 and then maybe to 300. But be very modest as you slowly increase and always look at your weight at least once a week to figure out, am I moving in the right direction? That should be going up regardless of who you are. Let me repeat that. Regardless of who you are, if, you're, if your weight is not increasing after, after six months, if you're the same weight that you were at point A, you've messed up. <laughs> I can tell you that much because you're, you're, people talk about body recomposition. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but that is you have drastically drastically undercut the results that you could have had just because you were scared of gaining a little bit of fat, which you will easily get rid of in the next leaning gain phase. And you'll look much, much better because of the musculature that you've added. So please be gaining weight, uh, not extremely quickly. I would say if you're gaining a pound a week, that's too fast. Uh, after that initial, after that initial uh, five, you know, eight pounds that you gain, whatever it might be, you know, it could be as little as two or three pounds that you gain once you jump up to those maintenance calories. Uh, you're going to have that initial jump. And then after that, if you're still gaining a pound every week, I think that's too quick. Uh, you want to reduce it. So going back to people who don't count their calories, uh, the best, one of the ways, one of the most efficient ways to figure out if you are moving too quickly or if you're even moving in the right direction, is one, are you progressing in the gym with the same form? Which means you have to take videos of yourself. You have to make sure that you're you're doing things correctly, that you're sticking to the strictness of your form. If you're increasing the weight, but suddenly your squats are high, you're not really increasing the weight. Uh, technically you are, but you, the, the quality of your repetitions is starting to decrease. So you're making up for it because you're not building enough of those motor patterns, enough of that musculature to be able to handle that weight with good form before you move on to the next weight. So if the, the point being that you need to be progressing in the gym, if you're not counting calories or if you're counting calories, but if you're counting calories, you have a better idea day to day how much you're actually consuming. But if you're not counting calories, you need to be progressing in the gym. And also on top of that, you need to be watching your weight. And I would say probably more than once a week. You need to be stepping on the scale two to three times a week just to make sure. And you're going to have fluctuations, no doubt about it, especially if you're a woman. You're going to have fluctuations. Don't freak out from one data point. Just move, okay? Point, point one on Tuesday, uh, you have 156 as your weight. And uh, point two on Thursday, you're 159. You're like, oh my, I, I gained three pounds. I'm not even supposed to gain one pound. This is terrible news. Well, maybe check again on Saturday or check again on Sunday and see, you know, don't make any judgments based off of one data point. Just wait and see 
And that's why you should typically weigh yourself more than once a week, but once a week is perfectly fine as well. So there's some information for you. Hopefully now you have an idea of how to transition from kind of a cutting phase to a bulking phase. I'll have a more condensed version of this at some point. I I really don't like talking about this stuff too much because I, I don't like being pigeonholed as a fitness person because that's not really what the channel is about. It's about health. It's about learning the body in its entirety. Uh, but as fitness, as exercise is a massive portion of health, uh, it is certainly something I need to cover. So uh, to Bobby's point, I will be creating some uh, specific content going over and condensing and with graphics and all that uh, in video format uh, for you guys. So hopefully then you guys have a, a better understanding of how to go about things. Uh, hopefully it helps. Let me know if you have any questions. I'd be happy to, to answer them. Okay, so that is how to bulk effectively coming out of a cut or a lean gain phase. And, or not lean gain phase, uh, leaning out phase. And the last topic is just a quick update you guys on the pre-workout that I've been working on. Again, not something I'm selling. Uh, it's just something I'm experimenting on myself with, uh, just because I want to save money, for one. Uh, these pre-workouts, they can get pretty costly after a time, and some of them taste pretty good. And I've tried many, many of them, and they've been great. But uh, at a certain point, you learn so much information, and I have articles on a lot of these different ingredients that are in these pre-workouts. And I'm just thinking, like, why don't I just buy the ingredients myself and just dose it appropriately? So I have been experimenting and I've been trying the, the my own pre-workout. And uh, there are three ingredients. That's it. So version one has three ingredients. And I will be adding more ingredients as I read more research into these particular ingredients. But uh, the pre-workout is made up of caffeine, beta-alanine, and creatine. So those are the big three that I'll be touching on and I will be creating some content specific for that to show you uh, you know, how I go about it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly rocket science, it's literally just a powder. Uh, dump it into the liquid mix. Done. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll go over kind of how much I'm taking. I'm not necessarily saying that you have to take this amount, but um, the amount that I'm taking, I, I remember I, I tried recently, I tried beta alanine for the first time. I had had it in other pre-workouts, but of course then it's already self-dosed, but I had, I tried beta alanine and I went to the gym and I took just 1.5 grams. So not like a massive amount, but, uh, it had been a while since I'd taken a pre-workout and I was, I was in the gym like a crackhead, just like, just scratching my skin. It was terrible. Uh, I should I should have known I should have gone with an even lower dose because 1.5 grams isn't that much, but uh, it was it was still uh, still an adjustment period. It was it was a comical experience, but I didn't freak out because I knew exactly uh, what what it was uh, based on again the article that I wrote on that topic. So I will uh, confer all that information in the future, and you can stay tuned if you are interested in that. Okay, guys, hopefully you found this episode informative. And uh, if you have any questions, of course, you're welcome to ask me at any time. And with that said, I wish you a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving if you are celebrating Thanksgiving. And with that said, have a good one, guys. See ya.